0: The government's response was, okay, we hear you, but we don't really care. Once we've lost that freedom that we have right now, we've lost the spirit of the city.
1: Welcome to another episode of Worldviews. My name is and I'm your host. Today I'll be talking to one of my dear friends, Max Lim, who is currently amongst the protests in Hong Kong. From those of you who have listened from the beginning of the series, you would know that most of these conversations I've recorded have been quite spontaneous. This one's going to be a little bit different because I will admit I did plan this one. The reason for it is that I believe what Max has to share is quite relevant to the current state of global affairs. Max is a medical student in Hong Kong, and a couple of weeks ago I was chatting to him and realised that he was still studying for his exams in the midst of all the political turmoil that we're seeing on our screens here in Australia. I'm sure you are no stranger to images of tear gas and chaos on your screens at the moment coming straight to us from Hong Kong. I really wanted to know what the feeling was on the ground, and I thought it would be cool for everyone else to as well. So without further ado, here's Max. I'm asking him what this is all about, how it started, and where he sees it going.
0: So this started off with an extradition bill. So I think the pretext is that the government has tried to push through a lot of controversial blows in the past. Someone committed an offense. Uh, this guy killed his girlfriend in uh, Taiwan. So he was being looked, uh, he, he, he was wanted for by the Chinese authorities, but he was actually Hong Konger. So he came back to Hong Kong. And so the Hong Kong authorities wanted to arrest him and charge him for his crimes in Taiwan. But Hong Kong does not have an extradition agreement with Taiwan for obvious reasons. Now, the government's proposal to all of this was to change the extradition agreement so that you could extradite them anywhere. Now, the implications with this is that you can extradite them to mainland China. The problem with the extradition bill was that it implicated not just Hong Kongers, but also foreigners. So if you committed a crime anywhere, and if any government wanted to extradite you, and you were in Hong Kong, then Hong Kong authorities would have the power to pass you on to any, extradite, any country, including China.
1: So if I were to go to China, do something wrong and try yeah. to hide in Hong Kong,
0: yeah. if yeah. this bill
1: was passed, they would have the power to extradite me back to China. That's pretty much yeah. what it is.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And the problem is doing business in China and the way Chinese culture works, there's still a lot of corruption in China. And that's just the way the situation works. And uh, a lot of these Western businesses, they base themselves in Hong Kong so as to give them that kind of degree of security from mainland China. So a lot of shady deals that they have to do in China. And obviously they came to Hong Kong as a safe haven. However, with this extradition bill, Hong Kong is no longer a safe haven. And so this got even the businesses worried. And if you don't Hong Kong, the, the whole point of Hong Kong is that it's a business trading hub. It The only thing keeping Hong Kong or making Hong Kong as relevant as it, as it is today to the world is that it's a financial hub. It's an economic hub because without that, it's really got nothing else. Because the Hong Kong, Hong Kong is a free port, right? The whole point of the government as a laissez-faire economy is to encourage business. The whole point of the government is to make as much regu- well, uh, make regulations so far, the, make regulations that go far enough to protect businesses and no more. That's the whole point of the government in laissez-faire economy, and that's always been the model for Hong Kong. So. Even this bill spooked the bottom line of Hong Kong, which is the businesses, the big banks, the big corporations. And I think that was the thing which made this bill so, this extradition bill so relevant um, in Hong Kong. Why it got such a big response?
1: Could you explain to me the progression from the extradition bill to a full-blown protest? It,
0: I think uh, there's partly the bill which spooked it off people, but at that point it was just spook. That it that was just fear. It's fear of what it could become. And one of the main reasons why it morphed into something as crazy as it is right now in Hong Kong is because of the way the government handled it, which kind of gave the people in Hong Kong this feeling that the government didn't really respond to or care about what the people felt. And let me explain this. So there was a million people who went out on the streets to protest. A million people. These, remember... The protests right at the start, protests way before, before June of this year, it's just three months ago, they were all peaceful. Like, absolutely peaceful. Like, big banks, even mainland Chinese banks, they were open for business when there were a million people on the streets. This was all approved, all by the government. Uh, The police was there. People weren't against the police. People were actually quite happy about the police then, in June. It wasn't their fault. It was just the government's fault. Right. So a million people were on the streets and this was so such a huge turnout because you had the elderly coming out. You had families, entire families. They had strollers with their babies out on the streets. This was a huge, huge monumental uh, protest. Like this is like a seventh of the population on the streets. And what did the government say or respond afterwards? The government's response was, okay, we hear you, but we don't really care. And that pissed a lot of people off. So the reason why the government was so brash and saying, okay, yeah, yeah, you protested on the streets, yeah, but we're still going to push it through anyways, because they had absolute confidence that the bill would pass in let go in the parliament. Absolute confidence, like they would definitely pass it. And the people were so angry because they knew where they were going to get, they, they knew that even if there was such widespread discontent and uncertainty and fear against the bill, they could do nothing to stop it. And what happened was the night before they were gonna do the second reading of the bill in the parliament, the more radical elements of the protest, they came out on the streets and they surrounded and the the, the parliament, they surrounded the parliament in, in at night so as to prevent the parliament from operating normally so that people, legislators, couldn't get to the parliament, so they could block the bill. And then after that, after that more violent incident. The, uh, the, the government said, okay, we'll suspend it. We won't withdraw it, we'll suspend it. There's this concept of Carrie Lam trying to not appear weak in front of the protesters, but she just didn't understand that this would piss off the, already piss off people even more. This really sent out a message to the people in Hong Kong or the protesters that peaceful means don't work and only more uh, violent means and I think that's kind of the reason why we're in this situation right now, because the government has never been responsive to the people.
1: This is a really interesting point to me, because yeah. I think in protests all around the world, not just in Hong Kong, there is this idea that at a certain point, if you are not being listened to, you must turn to other means, whether that's violence or yeah. some other form of protest, so that people mm-hmm. start to actually hear you. I mean, I yeah. can sort of see it happening with the climate change protests now as well, right? In the case of Hong Kong, from what you are seeing on the ground over there, has that actually been working? Is violence actually the answer?
0: I think it's brought about a lot of responses and a lot of change that wouldn't have happened if violence didn't happen. It's brought about a lot of discussion, a lot of soul-searching about what Hong Kong means with China. I think it's, it's brought about a different response. I can't say that if they had simply stayed with peaceful means that it wouldn't have brought about response, but I think it's brought about a different, more kind of agitated response.
1: It seems that things are becoming a little bit irrational with the violence you see looting on the streets, whether they be Chinese banks or even Uh, Starbucks, which is the epitome of Western US culture. So in the lens of Australian media anyway, there seems to be a lot of confusion of, of no actual direction of this protest.
0: Keep in mind that only Starbucks was targeted. McDonald's was open. None of them were looted. It was only Starbucks, in fact. Like, literally, there was very specific targeting of, well, when you say looting it wasn't looting I don't think people were see I'm not sure about this I, I don't quote me you on know, this but uh, I think the the point was more to destroy and to send a message I think with those it was not against it's not against the westernization because as I said there was only Starbucks McDonald's wasn't affected Burger King wasn't affected Shake Shack wasn't affected um, the big um, uh, what, what are the businesses are there in Hong Kong um um, None of the other businesses were targeted. They were targeted, Starbucks, in fact, specifically because uh, it's being operated by a huge local conglomerate in Hong Kong under a franchise operation. And the daughter of this multi billion industry, of this multi billionaire family, went over to uh, the UNHRC, the UN Human Rights Council and basically spoke out against the protest cause. I don't really remember what you said, but she basically denounced the protest and said that the protests were getting out of control, were depriving her of freedoms, whatever. I won't comment on whether she had a point or not. All I will say is that she managed to antagonize a lot of the protesters. And that's why they were targeting Starbucks. That's why they were targeting a lot of other local brands in Hong Kong too, not just Starbucks. So it wasn't the Starbucks brand per se. It was more so that it was being run by... Uh, uh, by this company called Maxims.
1: Right, which that makes a lot more see, sense.
0: Yeah, which, which is why you would see wide scale, uh, widespread like, destruction of Starbucks, but McDonald's next door is they were untouched. And so okay,
1: this is fundamentally a pro-democracy movement?
0: As you know, protests never come about as pro-democracy protests. They never come about... When people don't suddenly go on the streets and say, we want democracy. It's always a reactive nature. They react against something. So first of all, there was the extradition bill, and that was fine, but the government completely mismanaged it. They didn't respond to any because They didn't even provide any response. They just kept on saying, okay, we'll do whatever we want to do. And it just felt as though they were so out of touch with what the general public was thinking. Even if a million people were on the streets and two million people were on the streets afterwards, there was a, another protest where two million people were on the streets. The government... There was not much response. there was not much it just felt like there was a lack of leadership of wanting to take control and to really make the situation right and there was that and there was just it just started escalating. people were starting to throw Molotov uh, cocktail uh, yeah Molotov cocktails, uh, the Molotov bombs, those um, petrol bombs and whatever it got violent. Uh, they desecrated the the Chinese emblem. this was morphing into something which was just against Chinese influence, against Hong Kong government.
1: Uh, Forgive me, I might be a little bit naive about this, but isn't that pro-democracy? What is the difference between being anti-government in this particular case and pro-democracy? Let me put it this
0: way. If Carrie Lam stepped down tomorrow and someone who people felt truly represented the Hong Kong people came out and directly addressed not all, but some of the major demands that they were asking for, the protest would stop immediately. This right. is a political issue. So it's, not, okay. it's not, people aren't going on the streets because of democracy. It's more because of the lackluster response from the government. Obviously, this might be my pers- perception and I think it's morphing into something a bit more insidious now. I think people are asking for democracy, direct democracy. Obviously, it's one of the five demands, but if people prioritise two demands that they really, really wanted to see happen, they were basically accountability. First of all, was to withdraw and suspend the uh, withdrawal, the extradition bill, and second of all, was to establish a commission of inquiry into the recent unrest, especially police brutality, which I'll get onto now. So right until this point, there were a lot of protests, but people were against the police, right? People were just, okay, there was still some kind of, well, not, it's not empathy, but sympathy for the police. Like the police is just doing the jobs, they're stuck in the middle between the government, Uh, The the government and uh, 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 themselves uh, and um, the police, they're just doing the jobs, right? But what happened in, I think, mid-July was that there were people who came out, uh, and you can watch this There's a series of in-depth videos on New York Times, which I think are quite interesting. Uh, They analyze what's been happening in Hong Kong and the police response. But essentially, on the same night that protesters kind of sprayed, painted the Chinese emblem black, but right. the protesters, they were going back home. Right? They were going back from the city to back home in the suburbs. And when they got to a station, the trains, uh, there was suddenly this huge white mob. There were all these people wearing white. Because all the protesters up to now were wearing black. So it kind of in response, they were wearing white. And they were armed with kind of battens, sticks, um, uh, metal pipes, whatever. And uh, they came to the MTR, the train station, and they just started beating people up. And this was the first overt reference of violence. So they started mm. beating people up. People were bloodied. People were fractured. Innocent bystanders were hit. So there were these people. There was a guy who was just going back from work. And he just got beaten up. He was saying, mercy, please don't hit me. And they didn't care. They just kept on hitting me. And the police didn't arrive until I think half an hour to. 45 minutes afterwards, and their response wow. was, oh, you were destroying the stuff, humiliating the Chinese emblem on the other side of town, and because we were tied up with stuff over there, we couldn't get there in time. And the police just kind of arrested the protesters for kind of uh, rioting or being in an unauthorised gathering.
1: Do you see a parallel being drawn with the events in the later 20th century in Tiananmen Square? I know a lot of comparisons are being thrown around, but in your opinion, would you say that the same sort of thing is happening? Peaceful protests are being counteracted with violence?
0: No, I don't think so, because I think in Hong Kong it's been much more... much more as a result of political, governmental mismanagement, which means that if you... Management government, right? I think people would be relatively more content.
1: Do you then think that China has the power to come in and silence all of this?
0: I have no doubt in my mind that China would resort to this if they really wanted to. That's all I can say.
1: Can I ask you a really candid question? (laughs) Yeah. Are you scared?
0: I think for me... I think for me, fear is not something that's good. I feel like a lot of people have been fearful, especially normal Hong Kongers in Hong Kong. Like They've been fearful of going out on the streets at night. I mean, when you're tear gassing in the streets on Saturday afternoon at night, right next to where people live, it gets pretty frightening, especially when you see what, what appears to be lawlessness in this giant mob mentality. But I think fear isn't the way to deal with it because when you resort to fear, you lose reason and you lose, lo- you lose logic and you kind of resort back to violence. And when you have to pick between order and lack of order, then you support the government. And that's the way the government's trying to frame it. But people aren't against order. People want order in Hong Kong. They're very much lawful citizens. But it's kind of that discontent against the government. And I think if we get let fear... If we let fear... We shouldn't feel freer because we are in a free society. And once we've lost that freedom that we have right now in Hong Kong, then I feel like we've lost the spirit of the city. Because if you aren't free in Hong Kong, then why are you here? What does it mean to stay in Hong Kong anymore? If it's just fear of this, fear of that, fear of being beaten up by the police or by protesters or whatever.
1: (sighs) How do you go about living your daily life? You're a medical student. Mm. How are you doing your exams?
0: no no i think the thing about this is so interesting it's like if you live if you're not directly affected by it it almost seems as though things are as normal so i live in a relatively peaceful part of hong kong where there haven't been quite large-scale protests and it's almost as if there's nothing happening really so it normally happens at a weekend right so after sunday night when things calm down then the night crew get to work they repair broken stuff they repair the MTR and Monday morning starts as though nothing's happened.
1: What is the feeling on the ground now? For you personally, where do you see these protests heading and how can it be resolved?
0: I think what scares me the most is the lack of reason and the lack of logic that that has increasingly become... because. It's it's tough to say this. There's a lack of logic, lack of reason, and lack of like measured discussion. Because this is what the government always says. They say they want to. They always say, well, we should. We're anti-violence. We want reason. We want to discuss normally. These protests have gone way out of hand. Uh, a lot of the things that you mentioned, like Starbucks being vandalized, of that was a result of of, of the mass law because. It just felt as... Because that was just another inappropriate policy decision because it didn't manage to reduce violence. If your goal was to pacify and to reduce violence, it was counterproductive because people went on the streets because they were frustrated and they were defined against the government. They were defined mm. against the law. So they came out and they, it was just an excuse. Well, not an excuse, but like a, like a reason slash excuse to kind of vent the discontent. And what better way to vent the discontent against China but by equating reason and logic and, um, and nonviolence with the government, which is what the government's trying to do because they're trying to portray themselves as the harbingers of peace and order against something which is anarcho, something where there's no order, there's no reason, it's kind of drawing a fine line because it's become black and white. When I ask for reason and, and, and logic and calm, measured discussion, it doesn't mean I'm pro government this kind of black and white feeling now where you're either with us or you're not with us and with that there is really no scope for discussion there's no really scope for nuance it's either you're with us, you support us or you don't support us I think that's what I'm scared about the most
1: What are your predictions on where Hong Kong will be let's say in the next
0: year or so I don't uh, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't think anyone knows because it's all up to um, it's all up to China, right? Because if China has a vision for Hong Kong, then most likely the people in Hong Kong, the pro-China, China lobby in Hong Kong, they're gonna follow suit. So nobody know. I think the wild card is China. People don't know what China wants. Uh, and the Hong Kong government is very much dependent on the mainland Chinese government as they would normally be. So nobody knows where it will happen. I think the worst case scenario is that we end up with increasing violence, but I think a more likely scenario is that it's going to be endemic, such as like what's happening in uh, Spain and Barcelona right now, where there's not really a solution. People go on the streets, but you just keep on doing the things that you're doing and hopefully right. things will be fine. <laughs> I think people aren't um, really willing to voice their opinions now already because of this kind of, black and white thinking of this kind of like if you don't support us completely and hating the police hating the MTR hating the government then you're not with us and you're pro-China and you're pro-government and you're (laughs) pro-police brutality and then Mm. we can beat you up you know it's uh, that kind of split and it's not just the protesters side it's the government side too they're playing the game too I think that's what I lament is that both sides are just exploiting this kind of civil society this civil space for discussion for their own for their own benefit and there's a lack of discussion already because the government has really not shown any willingness to directly talk with the people they're really not a lot of it has just been pr exercise it's also partly because they've not really done any kind of civil discussion before because it's not a part of the way they government i think it's a lot more fundamental with the issues in hong kong it's the government's relationship with the people it's the government's relationship with uh Big businesses. It's a people's relationship with uh, big companies and the entire place's relationship with, uh, with Mainland China. It's a very fundamental issue, which is why there's no solution. Because everyone has different expectations and nobody can agree on anything. Thank you for
1: listening to another episode of World podcast that aims to break down pre-existing stereotypes about humans around the world we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts at all so jump on our instagram worldviews underscore podcast to let us know your thoughts otherwise i really hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time lots of love